It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, Happy Everything, alongside the managing editor of Warchant.com, Ira Schofel. My name is Tom Lang, and you are on Monday Smash. You can see it, Director Ben, with a nice little edit there, presented by our friends at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Ira, what's going on? What hasn't happened in the last two weeks? Yeah, man, it's been an eventful couple weeks, and uh, but all, almost all good, right? I mean, I, I think the only thing that's really been not positive was – Jamie Robinson moving on to the NFL, but that's not – it was totally expected. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought he was going to go at the end of last season. So you got an extra year out of him. And other than that, man, portal news has all been good. Recruiting news has been good. Uh, the team results have been good. And and now we've got some coaching news that I don't think is bad either. Yeah, so that's what we'll lead with today. But we're going to break down all of the things that have happened on the FSU team side and the transfer portal side since we last convened for a smash. But – Today's news, Ira, uh, you guys wrapped up just about 90 minutes ago here on WarChant TV with extended analysis. Defensive backs coach Marcus Woodson is reported to be taking a position at Arkansas. So there is an opening on Florida State staff, the defensive side of the ball, specifically the defensive backs coach position. Interesting stuff as it developed this afternoon. Yeah, and also not totally unexpected, uh, you know, and again, I think, you know, Jeff and you on the Jeff Cameron show, the wildly popular Jeff Cameron show have, uh, you know, suggested that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they made a, a change at that position. And, um, you know, look, I think Marcus Woods is a good guy, a nice guy, did a, a okay job, solid job here, but it wasn't like it's been a lights out job, especially on the recruiting front. Uh, there's been a couple of hits, been some misses, and, um, you know, overall, uh, you know, you just got the sense that they could do better at that position. And so with him moving on to Arkansas, um, you know, maybe Mike Norvell and he had a conversation where it seemed like maybe that was the right idea to do or right idea is to make a move. And, and uh, you know, so now Mike, Mike Norvell can make a change there, make the position, uh, bring in the kind of coach he wants at that spot. I, I assume recruiting will be a big part of it, um, but also they can get better at the player development side as well. So, uh, this is an opportunity. Uh, it's a really, you know, I think it's a good opportunity for Mike Norvell to improve his staff. Yeah, again, uh, you know, on the wildly popular JCS, Ira, you know that if Jeff is on something, he will push, he will push, and he will say, this is what I'd like to do. For me, you know, after a while, um, I was willing to at least hear the argument that if you didn't have the proof of concept, it's tough to recruit. And this is the first time in Mike Norvell's tenure where they can go hit the trail for this next wave of kids. And maybe if you get better players, you look better as a coach. I mean, just think about the year that Ron Dugans has had from the beginning of 2022 to the end of the calendar year. What a turn of events that was. So I was willing to hear that argument, but I knew ultimately, and so do you, Mike Norvell's vote counts the most. And he clearly uh, was was okay with allowing Marcus Woodson to go to Arkansas. One thing I do want to say is best of luck to Coach Woodson. Uh, as it happens, Ira, when we would do the spring or the fall luncheons, I think I always got him for an extended interview on Warchan TV, and it was always good. Uh, he was always very forward. Um, you know, he warned, actually, this particular preseason before the fall started that Omarion Cooper doesn't exactly have the job down on lock just yet. It's wide open across the board. Um, I was always uh, appreciative of his candor, and, uh, you know, best, best of luck moving forward. But now 
it gets exciting because what you're seeing here is a signal that Coach Norvell is always assessing whether or not the roster needs to get better or whether or not the staff needs to get better. And and that's what today's news was all about. And we should say also, for those of you just joining us, the 300 plus here on Monday Smash, hit the like button underneath this video. Subscribe to YouTube, the War Chant TV channel. It's absolutely free. We appreciate your support. But yeah, Ira, I guess in the next you know week or so, Florida State probably will have an answer and a replacement. I don't think this is something that's going to linger on for weeks and weeks. No, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen from Mike Norvell already uh, when he's had to make coaching changes. Uh, sometimes he hires from within, but I don't think that's a guarantee. I think some people are assuming that will be the case. Uh, you know, you have several people on the staff who, uh, you know, could be candidates. Obviously, Corey Fuller is on the staff in a recruiting support role. Uh, Kiwan Ratliff, who played at Florida, is a, obviously a really talented defensive back, um, you know, has not been a coach at this level. Um, you know, you've got, uh, they've got a, a couple of kind of GA spots, analyst spots, people on the staff who maybe could fill in. But I also think, you know, he's got a pretty good contact list. Uh, you know, Mike Norvell's coached with a lot of different people. Uh, he's worked at different schools before he was a head coach. Uh, and he's, you know, very popular. I mean, he's a, he's a well-liked coach, and I think he's got some good connections. So it wouldn't surprise me if he already has an idea of where he wants to go. And, uh, you know, there could be an option from the staff, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if it was outside the staff. Much like when you have a reputation as a program like in Alabama would right now or Georgia, and that you're a factory, you're going to get people paid, players paid. That could be the same thing in the head coaching profession. Mike Norvell gets guys promoted, and he gets guys opportunities elsewhere. Kenny Dillingham is just the latest in a long line of examples. To me, Ira, and we could break down the game in just a moment, the actual Cheez-It Bowl, but to me, the top priority would have to be recruiting ties. I'm looking for somebody who can be in a high school game uh, whose resume checks off boxes that in the Southeast footprint, they've got connections because that's something that I think, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they could use a little bit more of. Does he have to be a recruiter only? Not in this day and age. You need development as well. But I would hope that whoever the decision, uh, whoever the job goes to, that decision is based on maybe some recruiting ties in Florida State's footprint. Yeah, I mean, I think that would probably be at the top of the list. You know, again, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, this staff overall, since Mike Norvell's been here, they haven't. It wasn't a staff when he came in with a ton of Florida ties, state ties in the state of Florida. Now they've kind of supported them with some staff members who do, as we said, you know, Corey Fuller and Kwan Ratliff and Ryan Barto is a you know on the recruiting side, and uh, they've got a lot of guys on the staff who have those connections. Jared Ross, former FSU player, longtime high school coach in in Jacksonville, uh, so they have people on the staff that have some of those connections. But it is different when you have an assistant coach who can go on the road and walk into those doors. You know, again, Randy Shannon, uh, I know some fans are lukewarm on Randy Shannon and maybe feel like his best days are behind him, but I can tell you that Randy Shannon is very well-respected. There isn't a high school in South Florida that Randy Shannon can't walk into uh, as soon as their contact evaluation period opens and see whatever players he wants to see, and uh, he's very well-respected down there. So it would be good to have another coach with Florida ties for sure, but overall just a another great recruiter, somebody who, you know, has a, uh, an ability to open those doors, but also bring those kids in and Florida state's done a great job in the portal, but they can definitely do better from the high school ranks. It's a crazy time of year where you say to yourself, uh, whether you're an old fan traveling down to the bowl game or like us covering it, what day is it? And again, I'm glad it's on the marquee that it's, that's Monday smash because Ira last week you were there for the game at camping world stadium, the cheese at bowl, Florida state gets its 10th win of the season in dramatic fashion after scoring only 11 points in the first half offense gets on a roll a couple of stops a turnover and, and a stop late for the defense on a night that was kind of up and down injury laden what was that experience like in person Ira I was back here in Tallahassee but at least on television when I did the rewatch it sounded loud and it sounded like there were a lot of Knowles in attendance compared to Oklahoma Sooners fans and there were, and you know, when you get there, you don't, it's hard to tell, especially in the stadium. Cause we're in the press box. And when you look down, you really just see a garnet, a sea of garnet, crimson, red, yeah. you know, those kind of colors. So it's hard to know exactly how many are Florida state and how many are Oklahoma, but you'd kind of watch for when, when the chop started, try to get a look of how many arms are moving. Uh, or if there's a, a big play one way or the other to kind of see reactions of the fan base, Man, it was very heavy Florida State, um, very, very heavy Florida State. And I think a lot of the tickets, you know, the schools were limited in how many they were able to sell. 
the cheese and bowl, the bowl, you know, the the bowl was able sold. I think the majority of the tickets themselves, and I think a lot of Florida State's gobble, fans gobbled them up. Look, it's the reality is Oklahoma's not used to being in cheese and bowls or not used to being six and six, so the demand probably wasn't there. And Florida State fans were certainly eager to 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 snatch those up. So yeah, it was a great crowd, and it was a it was a it was a cool environment. You know, I thought the both teams played really hard. You know, going into that game, a lot of us wondered whether or not Oklahoma would want to be there. They had some guys opt out and they've had a disappointing season and they're trying to flip their roster a little bit. Uh, but I thought those guys were very eager to, to be there. I think they were trying to salvage their season by knocking off Florida State. It was physical. They were chippy, very chippy early on in Florida State. I was curious to see how they would respond to that. And I think as the game went on, you saw them respond that way as well. So it was, uh, I just don't know if you could ask for a better scenario. I know it's fun to get a blowout, but there were a lot of things that were really positive, I think, from that game. You know, I outside of the trips to L.A., the back-to-back years, I don't know that I've ever embedded with a team for bowl prep. You know, they have the multiple practices on site, and the different events that they do. Seems like every bowl trip, just, you know, when you relay stories off the air, they take on their own kind of identity. Uh, for example, you loved El Paso. You thought that was an awesome right. trip and, and a fun experience. Even though it's not the result Florida State wanted, they want to play in the Sun Bowl. It had its own kind of feel. Right. What was the feel like this week or, or the you know the week leading up to the game uh, with Florida State from a media standpoint? How did they sound? How did they look? And then obviously how they came out of it as well. How, how would you characterize that maybe compared to some of the other trips you've made over the years covering FSU? You know, it's funny. When they first started kind of going to the second tier bowls, you know, like when they went to Shreveport, for example, I remember talking to some support staff members about the players being less than um, – excited about being in Shreveport. You know, there were guys on that team who had been to Pasadena or had been to the Orange Bowl, and now here they are in Shreveport, and they weren't exactly thrilled about it. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, you look at El Paso, you know, you had coaching changes going on. Mike Norvell's about to come in. It's the end of the the Taggart era. Well, the Taggart era had already ended. Um, and so that was kind of a weird vibe because it was, you know, the players didn't know what to expect from Mike Norvell yet. And, and while we were there, though, you got the announcements that Marvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry were going to come back for the next year. So there was a lot of excitement, but it wasn't really kind of rooted in anything yet. It was just a lot of talk. This I thought was cool because it was, it was, it wasn't like strictly a business trip. Like if you're, if you're playing for a playoff game, you know, I don't think Mike Norvell treated it like, you know, guys, this is our chance to, you know, win a national title or anything like that. It wasn't like that level of intensity. So I think he let them enjoy themselves. They had some good events where they got out and go to the amusement parks and they had a good time, but it also wasn't completely a reward. I've seen some bowl teams where the coaching staff says, look, this is your reward. We don't really care what happens. Have a good time. We're here in the city. Just have fun. I thought this was kind of a mix where they had a good time. It wasn't super intense. But they were also there to, to try to get 10 wins because I thought that was important. So I thought it all kind of uh, – I think the result we saw in the field kind of mimicked that. They weren't quite as sharp as, as maybe they had been in November, uh, but they also got down to business when they had to. They did. Uh, the offense was on pace even in the first half, which was disappointing, on pace for 550 to 600 yards all night, and they stayed on that. I will say, Ira, in watching the game a second time, I came away more impressed with Jordan Travis' performance in the game. He knew everywhere to be. Uh, in terms of where to go with the ball against pressures. Uh, he could feel the the pressure or blitz packages coming his way. He would climb the pocket, move around. Outside of a sack that he took that was uncharacteristic when he rolled Early to the on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was outstanding in this game, and it's hard not to think about it. On that field, in that city, saw what LSU did today to Purdue. My God, that was an unholy beatdown at the Citrus Bowl presented by Cheez-It. It's just hard not to think about what's to come. And, you know, this offseason is going to be a whole lot of fun to cover Florida State leading up to that kickoff game against LSU. But watching Jordan, rewatching that game, the promise of what could be in 2023 this year now is just crazy to think about and consider. Yeah, he was pretty special. And, you know, I thought, again, man, I, you know, I wrote it in my 3-2-1 column. I'm not sure the more talented team won that football game. And we could talk about the season. You know, there was some talk going into the postseason about – Florida State deserves to play a better team than a six and six team. I mean, Oklahoma's got a lot of talent, man. The guys that they were rolling in there, the you know their skill guys are really talented. Uh, even the backups that had to play on the line were big, strong, big. I mean, they've recruited well, and so 
you know, uh, you know, I think that's a good win. I mean, I, I really do. And I don't know if, if, if Jordan Travis isn't Jordan Travis, the Florida state wins it, you know, they're getting a hole and, you know, he kind of got them, you know, he gave them some big plays, extended some plays, made some big plays, even that sack you're talking about. And I agree with that. We all know exactly the play you're talking about. It was almost like he wasn't, you could say he wasn't maybe respecting the defender to get to him that quickly, but it's also because he was trying to make that big play through the, you know, he's looking downfield. He's trying to make a play with his arm, which is what you want. And so, yeah, man, it was a real impressive performance by him. And then Johnny Wilson, I mean, that was, uh, you know, phenomenal. Um, I mean, you know, and again, that catch, one thing I want to point out, and maybe I might mention on headlines too, but you know, that, you know, the 58 yarder on the last drive to Johnny Wilson, you know, Brent Venables has a reputation as being one of the best defensive coordinators in college football of the last of our generation and has certainly been a, an outstanding coordinator. Now he's the head coach. Ted Roof, their defensive coordinator, has been coaching a long time. Well, Mike Norvell got them in a situation where they had Johnny Wilson paired up against a 5'11 safety. Yep. And so that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a negative on their staff, but it's a real positive on Florida State. And Johnny Wilson said, look, they had schemed up a, once earlier and it was open. And – you know, we didn't get to it. So, um, you know, credit to them. And, you know, they, they, Mike Norvell has talked a lot about being an offense for playmakers and finding those matchups. And that's certainly one with the game on the line, man. They dialed up a big one. It was an absurd catch, too, because he's got yes. to trap it with one hand and then secure the ball with the other in order to come down with it. And, you know, he had the one drop, but I mean, he made so many good catches, contested tough catches. You almost feel better when it's a not a routine play for Johnny that he's going to come down with it. Right. He's got some vibes, I heard, to my Sunday team, the division champions right there. He's got some Mike Evans vibes to him. He's taller yes. than Mike Evans, but he's quicker off the release than you'd think. You're like, how is a guy this lanky getting such separation? And then Mike has a propensity that if it hits him right in the chest, it, it, it might go down and it might hit the ground. But if you have something where he's got to contort his body, come back to the ball in the red zone and the end zone, you feel better about what 13 is going to do for Tampa. Johnny's emergence in this game, again, promises uh, a big things in 2023. And it's tough, Ira, because you could see that Brent Venables had schemed against the run. He was going to stop counter and outside zone. He wasn't going to get outflanked, to use basic terms, not let Florida State get outside on the ground. If that means if that meant throwing more bodies at the problem, then he certainly was going to do it. And there's a great photo of, right. of what Johnny was fighting through there to make that final catch. Outstanding camera work. I'm sure that's Getty Images because we have a deal with them. Yeah, I think, in, in to your point, I was when I was watching the Bucks on uh, Sunday, I uh, I was thinking to myself that, man, when you watch Mike Evans, would he have three touchdowns in that game? Yep. It just feels very similar. Again, and you're right. I mean, Mike Evans will drop the ball too. Um, you'd like to think Johnny Wilson will get better at that. I think he has, you know, you think back to just in the spring, the reason, you know, we, we were, we were wondering what he could become was because he did have a lot of jobs in the spring, got a lot better in camp, uh, has had some highs and lows, had a great game against Louisville, had the great, a couple other great games, had a, a couple other situations were not as good, but, um, but you just don't have many guys in college football that are built like him and, and are competitive. I mean, he, like you said, man, he's, he, even if he doesn't make the catch, he's going to go compete for just about every ball thrown his way, and you like that. Well, he's going to drive a dude into the bench if it's a run call. Right. You know, he's never going to pout because the ball, at least so far in his career, I have yet to see him pout on the field like right. a lot of number one receivers would. Look at Justin Jefferson yesterday in Green Bay. I mean, that dude was all yeah. kinds of messed up here. And you see that happen with receivers. But Johnny is always about making the next play. Otherwise, if, if you didn't have that mentality, you couldn't make the catch like he made against Florida on the third down along the, the, the FSU sideline, the contested catch to keep that drive going if, if your head isn't consistently in the game. And he went for 200 freaking yards. I mean, he went for 200 yards in the bowl game. And what gets fun, Ira, as you look at next season, is he's going to be in single matchups sometimes because Florida State's offense is balanced and lethal across the board. And that's maybe something worth talking about as well since the last smash that we did. I mean, you've got Jaheim Bell now a part of the fold of Florida State, Kyle Morlock to go along with most of these returning weapons at receiver. Winston Wright even confirmed again again that he'll be back next year. Ira, it's almost like where do you begin as a defensive coordinator as you're breaking down tape of what Jordan Travis and the FSU offense can do to you? It quite literally is a pick your poison. And Jordan is such a big part of it because, yeah. as you said, I mean, it, it's, you know, teams do not feel great about leaving two safeties deep 
with Jordan Travis because of what he can do with his running ability and the running game overall. They had had, what, seven straight games with 200, 200 yards rushing. And, um, you know, and I think Oklahoma said, well, we're not going to lose that way. And, uh, well, they lost a different way. But, it, you know, it was a good game. And, and uh, yeah, and I think that that's – Jordan's kind of the, the factor that always is going to keep people honest. Not that the running is, is going to be a high priority of his offense. I mean, I, they've moved so far beyond that now. But it's always there. You know, it's always lingering in coaches' uh, heads. And he's, you know, because of that, I think teams have to respect that. And they can't just completely uh, completely forget about him as a running option. Then on the defensive side of the football, FSU was missing Fabian Lovett in a big way. Uh, that didn't have to do clearly with NFL aspirations that Fabian Lovett did not play in the bowl game. He has announced since then that he's coming back to Florida State. And it's just the, the rich keep on getting richer, Florida State in the transfer portal or with roster retention. Ira now with the Fisky kid or Fisk, Braden Fisk, uh, Daryl Jackson. Uh, you've also got uh, Josh Farmer coming back, Fabian Lovett coming back. The young players at Florida State, uh, Daniel Lyons had some limited reps in the Cheez-It Bowl, Ayobami Tafasi. The defensive interior for Florida State is going to be absolutely loaded next year with the type of rotation that championship teams have. Fabian Lovett, the news was big from last smash till now. That's one of the headliners uh, of developments between now and then, that FSU's defensive interior is as good as it's been in a long, long time. Yeah, and real quick on the the graphic that Ben just put up of the transfer portal classes, the way on three ranks them, uh, you know, you got Florida State number three, but the two schools above them are schools that are flipping their rosters. You got yep. first year coaching staffs, Kenny Dillingham uh, with Arizona State and Deion Sanders at Colorado. They are completely flipping their rosters, so obviously they've got a, a much um, they're going to have a much bigger opportunity uh, to get points in that ranking. But what Florida State's done is is really impressive, but. You know, it's kind of like the story of the last couple of years has mostly been about Florida State and what they've done in the portal or maybe somewhat in recruiting. This offseason, the story has been the portal, but also retention and with the Battles Zen Collective and what the, the work they've done there. Um, you know, you just haven't seen Florida State have the exodus that all of these other schools are having. I mean, even, you know, LSU's lost. And, and you know, you talked about how good they looked against Purdue they've lost players to the portal uh, or to the NFL, uh, you know, teams that not just teaches teams in transition, Arkansas, third year coaching staff, they've lost a lot of players to the portal. You know, Florida state's one of the few that hasn't lost a lot to the portal and the guys that they have lost. Almost none of them were starters, you know, like uh, maybe Amari Gaynor might be closest to it, but he, it seemed like he wasn't a big factor in what they were doing defensively over the last season or two. And, um, you know, it's it's basically you're you've been trading guys who are not key players on your team for to bring in guys as you mentioned, uh, Jaheim Bell and 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 Murlock and Murlock and the the other tight end and um you know it's just one guy after another uh, Fisk and uh, Fentrell Cypress the defensive back all ACC cornerback coming in uh, they are really upgrading the the roster again and in a way in a different way like they've done good job in the portal the last couple of years. But this group is a little bit higher level of player uh, than they brought in the last couple of years, and it's it's uh, exciting to see. Yeah, that's again, you know, in that graphic that Ben had, it's nearly a, a star rating of 90 or, or a player rating of 90 for the incoming players for Florida State, and that's far and away much better than the you know roster flipping that's being done in other places. The, the type of player in the transfer portal, if there is such a thing as a blue chipper in the transfer portal, and these rankings are fluid, Florida State is getting game changers across the board in most every segment. Uh, Buffalo Tom is relentless. So I will just ask the question and frame it a little bit differently to Ira. Uh, are you hearing any whispers about Adam Fuller at this point being a, somebody that's going to be uh, looked at the way that Coach Woodson perhaps was looked at? You know, I haven't heard that. Um, you know, it would surprise me, but, it, you know, look, man, you can't rule out anything in uh, college football today. But, yeah, I, it's not like that's on my radar. Marcus Woodson was on a lot of people's radar, honestly, Going back to last year, uh, there were people around the program who thought that, um, you know, that maybe Mike Norvell could do better in that spot, especially when, you know, the kind of the big selling point for Marcus Woodson in that last class was you were going to bring in Sam McCall, you were going to bring in uh, Travis Hunter, and um, and then you lose Travis Hunter, and now Sam McCall's out in less than a semester. So, well, less than a year, less than a season. And so, you know, that's, that's it's just not good. Um, but no, I haven't heard anything like that with Fuller. If it happens, it happens. But I haven't 
heard anything like that. Well, whoever the coaching staff is across the board, they're getting more toys. Deuce Cypress, you mentioned his name. Uh, that's the number two overall player in on three's rankings for the transfer portal in 2023. That's a six foot, 170 pound corner, largely going to play corners. A great QA you can find on warchant.com where Michael Langston got some back and forth with Fentrell Cypress, in which he says a couple of things that raised my eyebrows. Number one, two years of eligibility. That's good, mm-hmm. potentially, if you, if you want it for a couple of years and his stock hasn't risen, he can come back. But then also, when asked about what positions he was going to play, he said it doesn't really matter, but we're going to alternate probably between field corner and boundary corner. So this is a bona fide cornerback prospect, at least for right now, that Florida State is bringing in from Virginia. Ira, there's going to be a new position coach at defensive back, so that's already going to get a ton of attention as we get into the spring. But between what they did closing Conrad Hussey, which that was an interesting development that lasted beyond the first day of the early signing period, and now also bringing in Cyprus, Florida State's probably not done yet in terms of the overhaul at, in the defensive backfield. Jamie Robinson moves on to the NFL. He announced that basically at New Year's uh, on January 1. But that's going to be a group that is now definitely hyper-focused on in spring and fall camp because it could be one of the missing pieces to Florida State's run at a playoff for an ACC championship next season. Yeah, and it's and it's a group that I think there's a lot of potential that was already on the roster. Azaria Thomas, you know, I don't know if people noticed during the course of the game. Sometimes it's hard with TV if you weren't there, but because of the injuries they had during that game, Renard, well, Jarian Jones went down early. Renardo Green got hurt as well. Azaria Thomas played like 73 snaps in that game as a true freshman, and I think he played pretty well. And um, so you have him coming back. You have uh, Jarian Jones and Renardo Green and, um, you know, I think Duke Cooper. We'll see. Maybe he can bounce back from this year, which was not uh, clearly his best. But then, um, you know, as you said, you, know, you bring in Cypress, who was an all – I mean, he was uh, in the official All-ACC team. He was second team. PFF does it by their grades. They had him as first team All-ACC. Clearly one of the best cornerbacks in the conference. You bring him in. Uh, you talk about these other guys you've got coming back on the front end. Uh, the linebackers are coming back. I mean, you're kind of coming in with not just a pat hand for the most part, but you're adding some really nice pieces to it as well. So the defense should be good, man, it, 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 as good as it can be. I mean, I think that's the other question we have to ask ourselves is what do we? what's realistic for a defense in college football? Uh, I'm interested to hear your opinions, Tom, but I, I watched those two playoff games the other night, and both yeah. games were about – a thousand yards of total offense between the two teams and, you know, 90 or a hundred points. And I'm not saying Florida State was playing those types of offenses this season, but I also think those are elite defenses. Michigan and Georgia were supposed to be these elite, elite defenses and they just got shredded. And so part of me is like, yes, the defense is going to be a lot better, but what's realistic? You know, what is really realistic? No, what's realistic is in this day and age, you got to lean on your offense to finish the job. They're the closing unit. You right. Typically, you know, at least when I was growing up, you talk about how do you close out a game? It's with a defensive stand. It's with a guy like a Simeon Rice or, or Reggie White as a pass rusher. Those are the guys that are going to get you off the field and they're going to end the game. But it feels like in this day and age, it comes down to who has the ball last more than it doesn't. And how about that semifinal show for college football? Holy cow. You know, Ira entering that uh, particular New Year's Eve, the average margin of victory in the college football playoff semifinals was like 20 points, 20 plus points. Yeah. And then you get two absolute classics. I mean, after the first half of Michigan, uh, the Michigan TCU game, which was a little strange from that point on, you got three halves of football that were absolutely delightful to watch, but you're right. There, there's some instructive, uh, there, there's a learning uh, tool in there, which is, it's going to come down to Jordan Travis. It's going to come down to the offense to reach the mid-30s to upper 30s in these key games on the schedule, be it the LSU game to start the season, on the road at Clemson, an ACC championship game if they make it that far, and if they can make a run of the playoff. You can't expect the game to be 27-24. to 24. That's just not realistic anymore, and that's where Florida State has to look this next season is get turnovers if you can, but don't expect to hold down the opposing offense, and that's certainly something they didn't do against Oklahoma with all of the injuries. We'll return to that point in just a minute. James B., thank you so very much, my man. One of the pillars of Warchant TV. He was out there at Harry Buffalo in Orlando as we did the get-together and the staff meet-and-greet on Wednesday of last week. It was great to see him, as always. Happy New Year, Tom and Ira. Do you think Norvell told Woodson he would not be coming back at the end of the regular season so he could find another position without being fired? Do you want to speculate on that, Ira, or uh, what do you think? Well, first, I just want to say thanks, James B. I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you, too. I didn't get to talk to him. 
you know, we kind of, we all were kind of in different areas at the get together and it was an awesome time. And I got to talk to a lot of people uh, that I was talking to. And then when we left, Aslan and Corey told me they talked to James B and I was mad that I missed him, but uh, appreciate him as always. And I know he's uh, just, you know, just a great FSU fan. And um, it would not surprise me if a conversation like was like that, like that was held at some point, you know, that's what Bobby Bowden always did. I mean, Bobby Bowden, for you know, his career was known for not really firing coaches, but there were some coaches that were told to find something else. And Mike Norvell, I think, is is probably uh, the same way because you, you know, it's just it's it's a way to take care of people and it's a way to you know keep good relationships. Uh, if you're just firing coaches outright at the end of a season, you know, it just uh, you know it could it could create some ill will that you don't need. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did that. I don't know for a fact he did that. Uh, but I do know that there have been people around the program that thought they needed to make a change there, going back to even before this past season. So, um, you know, it wouldn't, it, you know, they, I don't know that they were in a position a year ago to make any changes or make many changes on the staff because you're coming off of a three and nine one season, a three and nine season, a five and seven season. And Mike Norvell, I don't think he was on the hot seat, but there was a perception that by some people that if he didn't have a good year, he might be in the hot seat. Well, it's going to be hard to get coaches. This is completely different now. They can go out and get really talented coaches. And also the, the administration has given the money uh, to go out and, you know, to do a good, to do, to be competitive with coaching salaries. I think Florida State's in a great place right now to, to make a really good hire. Well, James B., I'll tell you this too, and, and this is circumstantial, anecdotal, but it's true. This is what I experienced personally. Hey, headliners and elite headliners. It's Ira here, and it's time to talk Shopify. As you remember, a couple of years ago, we wanted to create and sell headlines merch for the best podcast listeners in the world. That's you. But we had no idea where to get started. Now we're selling Yay Sausage shirts, and it's so easy, all because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're a startup working out of your man cave or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to grow your business without all the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. You could be selling Don Julio socks from Shopify's in-person point of sale system or offering headliner shirts from Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform. Whatever you need, you're covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love most about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase, and they'll help you grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Go to shopify.com slash warchant. On signing day, uh, we did breakout interviews with different coaches. We spread across the room as they spread across the room. And Coach Woodson was one of the guys I talked to. Again, uh, I, I had a history of interviewing him. Seems like I get Adam Fuller as well. Um, but this was the shortest interview that I ever did one-on-one with Coach Woodson. I, I don't know that he was thrilled with the way the day was going. And, and something felt strange about that particular interview. Ira, I commented to you after. I said, yes, you did. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't down to give me 50-word answers when five would do. I was like, okay, all yeah. right, well, we'll move on. So maybe, perhaps, but um, again, that's anecdotal circumstantial but something did feel a little bit different in the room so Ira they've checked so many boxes this offseason already and the offseason's less than a week old it's kind of bizarre but what Florida State's done in the portal uh, they brought in some game changers in terms of the recruiting class Hakeem Williams leads the charge there is Jared Verse a number one on the list of things for Florida State in terms of what they can do to strengthen uh, themselves for 2023 or do you think it's maybe hitting the portal to help out at a different position I mean, I think versus is number one on the list. Yeah, I mean, no question. I mean, he, you know, the thing about him is I think it would be best for him to come back, and obviously it would be best for Florida State to come back. But the cool thing about him is he's not just a good, talented football player. You know, he's he's a different kind of person, and I think there have been some players on the team that needed to get a little while, get around him for a little while to kind of feel good about him because he does talk so much. 
He's uh, he's constantly, you know, what we saw at the end of that game, uh, you know, there's been a lot talked about. He talked about it in the post game about him and uh, going back and forth with the o- Oklahoma offensive tackle at the end of the game verbally. That's how Jared versus is a practice. And, you know, I think it can rub people the wrong way at times, but I think it's it's an energy that's really good. And I think the fact that he's got such a good relationship with Trey Benson, their roommates, um, he's got such a – he's one of those people – and people – you know, you guys work with people that every day you go to, to the office or whatever wherever you work, there's somebody that just always is on and has that energy – and that's Jerry Verse. And I think it's a positive thing. And he's relentless on the field. You never see him just kind of going through the motions, whether it's at, at uh, in a game or a practice. So I think for a lot of reasons, man, he is number one on the list. Um, and I think he can get so much better. I mean, I think he can be a lot better than he was this year. So I hope he comes back, man. I just, you know, I don't know that he's going to be as drafted as high as he could be if he comes out this year. So I personally just kind of want to see him make the right decision, not selfishly for me or us, I just think he'd be better off coming back for another year. I agree. When they played better offensive lines at the end of the year, I mean, he closed out the game against Oklahoma. I'll grant you that. But there, there is some work to be done because if he gets it right, Ira, I mean, he can be top dozen, top 15, that type of a pick. It's what it seems like to me. And right now, you know, you're looking at some of the experts, quote unquote, in the mock draft world, and there's one on every website. But, you know, if you're around the fourth or fifth defensive end off the board, that's, you know, there's enough out there, enough variance in terms of what your earning potential could be. You're not coming back for free anymore in the days of the NIL. Right. So there is potentially that and uh, that he hasn't announced yet. I think the longer it goes, the better it is for Florida State. If you're you know going to go to the draft, I think you would make that announcement quicker, but we shall see. So Jared Verse is still out there for Florida State. Uh, there's a couple of transfer uh, positions where Florida State could make a decision on a kid sooner. There is also the springtime window as rosters shuffle right. in and shuffle out. It's an absolutely loaded offseason so far. We kind of have to be a little bit paranoid right now on Warchant.com and Warchant TV because if there's not news about a coaching change, it's about a kid leaving or coming in. Uh, but Florida State's roster does seem to be promising for the next season. Ira, I guess if somebody was in a, let's say, uh, a hyperbaric chamber and they were out cold for the entirety of this regular season and now they're out of it, and you had to explain to them what they missed in the last 13 games and what Florida state is as a football program now versus what they were before they kicked off against Duquesne. How would you start and where would you go? Because it's unbelievable when you think about it that way, how quickly this program has, you know, come to legitimacy from hopefulness. Yeah, man, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that because I I went back and listened to a couple of the shows we did in the preseason and kind of what some of our expectations were. And I really think, you know, offensively, the offensive side of the ball is where, and none of us could have predicted uh, that this is what it would become. You know, going in, going back to last spring, uh, we were very suspect about the offensive line. Uh, they did not look very good in the spring. They, you know, they went out and got some transfers, and that was important. But I don't think any of us expected. You never could have told me they were going to have seven games in a row where they rushed for over two hundred yards, mm-hmm. included in that. You know, the University of Florida and and Clemson and some of these other teams that they ran for 200 yards against um, Jordan Travis's development. I mean, I went back uh, during the preseason, we, we kind of evaluated every position and said, okay, where's Florida state now compared to where they need to be, but also compared to the rest of the ACC. And I think I projected Jordan Travis kind of in the middle of the pack of kind of towards the, the, the fifth, sixth spot, somewhere in that for quarterbacks in the ACC because you had so many great quarterbacks coming back, coming back to the season. And instead, a lot of those guys fell by the wayside, didn't have years you expected, and Jordan Tra- Travis just skyrocketed. And now he's – you can make the case he's the best quarterback in the ACC. Um, nobody could have predicted Trey – I mean, we like Trey Benson, but you couldn't have predicted he'd be what he is. Johnny Wilson – you know, Mike, Alex Atkins made it. Uh, this comment while we were down in Orlando when I was talking to him. And he said, you know, a lot of these guys, one of the things that's helping them with the portal with selling them to other portal players is, you know, a lot of these guys that we've gotten out of the portal the last two years weren't killing it at their previous schools. You know, I think Johnny Wilson might've had more receiving yards in that game than he had in his career at Arizona state. Uh, you know, Micah Pittman was, was used at, at, at Oregon, but not at a high level. Trey Benson certainly hadn't done anything really on the college level yet. Part of it due to injury. Um, you know, some of these guys were productive. Tatum Bethune 
Jamie Robinson. Some of those guys were productive at their previous schools, but a lot of them were not. And all of these offensive linemen seem to be playing better than you expected when they came in. Um, so that's all. It just it all culminated in a way where you know you could go ten and three. I mean, I, I remember back back during the season. I thought before the season, I thought eight and four was what that would be a great year. And if there's an outside chance, I thought maybe nine and three. I think you predicted nine and three, and yeah. so you might you might have thought um, you know a ten one season was possible. But I I just you know I don't know how many level headed people expected that so it's been um it's yeah. remarkable man it's remarkable no and and here's the thing the circumstances by which they got there iris surprised me i was optimistic that it was possible because i thought the you know the acc slate was a little bit more open for business but i thought they couldn't suffer injuries to the offensive line before the season really even got going you lose two guys that you figured to be in your top seven yeah. of the rotation so i didn't foresee that robert scott was out for a, a significant part of time jordan travis was out for a half and you were losing uh, for that second half Tate Rodemaker comes in like how they got to nine wins. You know, if you told me that those things were going to happen, I'd say, oh, there's no way. Yeah, that's that's seven, maybe eight if they get every bounce possible. But the turnover luck wasn't phenomenal. The injury luck wasn't that great either. Fabian Lovett was out for most of the season. I mean, and Jared Verse wasn't 100 percent for a good chunk of the season. What surprised me about this group, Ira, was that they were deeper than I thought. There's just no other way to say it or describe it. They had more depth in the offensive line than I gave them credit for, and then they had more heart. than I, We knew that Mike Norvell's culture was repaired. This team never gave up. That's what made them so likable this year is whether or not they beat Oklahoma or not. They never, ever gave up. They were never out of a game. No matter what adversity struck, they put themselves in position to win all the games that they lost. Should have won one of them. But even the, the win against Louisville felt like a bit of a steal that night. If we're doing kind of a season in review on the fly, it's just incredible to think that Verse goes down, Robert Scott goes down, Jordan Travis goes down, and yet that team finds a way to light up Louisville's defense like a Christmas tree with all those things being true. It's just a phenomenal season in that regard. Yeah, and that wasn't a bad Louisville team uh, by any stretch. Yeah. And I think at the time, people started to wonder, okay, maybe Louisville's left for dead, they're done. And then they they kind of rebounded and played pretty well in the second half of the season. And, um, yeah, I, mean, I think that was on display in that game, in that bowl game, because Oklahoma, man, and that was one thing, you know, and again, I don't know if – I wasn't watching on television, so I don't know if you could feel it, but Oklahoma's players were extremely chippy, and they were they were trying to get under Florida State's guys' skin. They were, you know, blocking after the whistle, uh, shoving guys after the whistle, trying to exert their toughness and kind of let Florida State know you're you're this isn't the team you thought you were going to get. We're here to win this game. And Florida State weathered that storm because they were not playing well. You know, Jordan Travis, the offense was not clicking. They would move the ball and then the drives would stall and they just could not kind of get going the way we've seen all year. The 11 points at halftime. Everybody on my timeline was killing Adam Fuller, but the offense had 11 points at halftime and part of the de- part of the defense problem was you know, they went for it on their own side of the field and gave Oklahoma a short field. So, but the, the second half, you know, you, you just talked about it, the, the, you know, the resiliency, um, just the, the lack of panic. You know, I think when you look back at some of the losses, uh, you know, maybe the last couple of years where if things weren't going well, you know, could you, what are you leaning on? What What's the, what's the rock? What's the foundation? And I think, you know, you saw it in that game. I mean, they they just they hung together until they started making plays, and then they kind of um, you know really took control of the second half, just like they did against Florida. That's one of the storylines for this upcoming season. Is I think when you pair the Florida game and the Oklahoma game, those are two teams against Power Five teams that are right around five hundred. Uh, they finish the season under, but you get the point. They're not exactly ten win football teams in Power Five. Those are close games where you're not sneaking up on the other program. Florida State can't do that anymore. If they caught anybody off guard this year, it won't happen next. And that's something that's got to be a lesson for the 2023 group is you're going to be the biggest game on just about everybody's schedule next year. And that's something that's completely different. Guys play over their heads. We've covered that for years and years. It's, it's been a minute since it happened, Ira, but we covered that for years and years that when a team played Florida State, they did things that you didn't see. And I'm not talking about trick plays. I'm just saying about they showed abilities that you didn't know they had. That's what they've got to expect in this year upcoming, and that's probably a good thing that they ran into the resistance they did against Florida and Oklahoma to take that lesson into the offseason. Yeah, the, the residual from the dynasty run lasted for a long time. You know, yeah. people enjoyed beating Florida State well into 
2009 to 2010 because of what they had been in the 90s. You know, just all those everybody in those teams grew up seeing Florida State be that Florida State. And so you would get these unbelievable efforts from all of these teams that had historically not been able to beat Florida State, a lot of them in the ACC. Um, and then, you know, Jimbo turns it around and Florida State becomes dominant again. And then you have these last few years where Florida State just wasn't competitive anymore. Well, now they are. And I think to your point, yeah, teams uh, may have slept on Florida State a little bit coming into this year, but they're not anymore. I mean, and and, and I think you're going to get – not only are you going to get other teams' best shots, the other thing you have to watch out for, and I'm and I, uh, Coach Henshaw, retired uh, football coach George Henshaw, uh, who does a weekly column with us, uh, I spoke to him today. We'll have that column coming up on the site in the next day or two. One of the things he talked about was, you know, just dealing with prosperity is different. And, you know, Florida State has, has gone into seasons for these last four or five years is, is kind of hungry, um, you know, no expectations. And certainly this past year, they were trying, they were determined to prove they were better than, they, than everybody thought they were. And they did that. Well, now people are going to be talking about you for the next eight months about how you're the team to beat in the ACC and Clemson might be down. I think it's a good thing that LSU looked so good today because at least there's going to be hype on LSU too. If LSU had laid up an egg against Purdue and looked terrible, it would have been eight months of how Florida state's going to, you know, what are they going to, what are they going to do this season? They, you know, they're clearly going to beat LSU in the opener. You know, there's going to be a lot of hype on this team and Jordan Travis and how they handle that. I think it's going to be, I'm not saying they can handle it, but that's going to be a challenge. North of 700 of you right now, 700 are watching here on Warchant TV. Do us a favor, hit the like button underneath the video, subscribe to Warchant TV. It's absolutely free. To that end, on the site, Ira, Warchant.com, you released your 321 column not that long ago to put a bow on what was, any way you slice it, a rousing success of a season for FSU. And I'll give away the end of the column. There was a prediction. And Z-Chan, I see you, and you're wonderful. Um, but you said in your prediction, well, actually, you tell people. You wrote it. What did you say in your prediction? Uh, I predicted that I think Florida State's going to win the ACC next year. Um, okay. And I don't think I'm going to be the only person that says that. I think you're going to. I think there's going to be a lot of people predicting Florida State to win it. Look, look, I mean, Clemson, you know, it does not seem to be – it does not seem – we'll see. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But it doesn't seem to be a blip right now for Clemson. It yeah. feels to me like they're sliding. You look at what they've had, the uh, turnover they've had on their coaching staff. They lost both of their offensive coordinators, Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott. They lost their defensive coordinator, uh, Brent Venables. They've lost um, you know, the talent. The, they don't seem to be as talented as they were during their tremendous run. They don't look like they have elite receivers. I love the running back. And I love a couple of players on their defense, but that defense didn't play like we expected them to play. And so, you know, I just, I don't know. And then I questioned some of the coaching decisions. I didn't get the game plan in their bowl game, throwing club neck 50 something times in that game didn't seem to make any sense. Um, so I just think there's a lot going on there with Clemson. To me, feels like they're sliding a little bit and I think Florida state is, is coming. And, uh, so I, you know, the the format will be different next year. It's not like you have to win your division to get in the championship game. I think Florida State will be one of those two teams in the championship game, and I and I, I like Florida State to win it. I think Florida State's going to have the better quarterback in every game they play next year. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just I think they're going to win the ACC, and if they do that, man, you got a chance to be in the playoff, which would be amazing. That's a great place to start if you're trying to argue how am I going to win the football game or how is this other team going to win the football game? Who's got the better quarterback? And Florida State is not sleeping on the offensive line and improvements there. Already got some kids that are going to be in the fold for 2023, but I don't know that they're done there yet. Z-Chan asks, and I, Z-Chan, I'm going to preserve the sanctity of W's and L's uh, for the live show, the JCS, uh, especially since I nailed 9-3 and three this year. I had two cracks at 9-3, and three, so I'm, you know, hopefully we get it again next year. But Ira, I'll do a Vegas over-under um, because, you know me, I'm already bullish on the opponent list for next year for Florida State's schedule. Somebody always rises up and is more of a challenge than you think and vice versa. But I think Vegas has got to release that number for the 12 regular season games at, you know, 10, 10 and a half. I just – I can't see it otherwise. Uh, is that too high? Am I too rich? But I think that's got to be the expectation. That would be wild, man, from what it's been the last few years. Um, I six mean, six and a half this year. It was six and a half this year, yeah. and it's been lower. Um, yeah, my I think it's gonna be made nine and a half. 
Um, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of buzz about LSU, um, rightfully so. Clemson is going to still be perceived as Clemson. Think back to when Florida State started to slide, how long it took everybody else to kind of the public to see that and sports writers to see that. Now, Vegas might already know it, but they have to kind of base what the public is going to think uh, and and how they set their numbers. So my guess is I think Florida State's still going to be seen as the next tier. And I think so. I would say nine and a half. But but, um, yeah, if I had to put a number on it right now, I think Florida State, 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 in the regular season yep. is is what I'd be looking at. I, you know, I don't know um I don't know that I could predict them to go undefeated cuz I mean how many teams go undefeated? It just doesn't very often happen. But I I could definitely see Florida State being 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, but they've got to get better. I mean, that's the thing, you know, Mike Norvell mentioned it in the in the post game when Jordan Travis uh people watched the press conference, Jordan Travis was kind of kind of getting excited and said, you know, look, I've got big goals for next year. This is just the beginning. There's a lot of things we can do and I'm excited about next year. And I believe that. And I think that's true. I think it's why he's coming back. And then Mike Norvell kind of interrupted him and said, we have a lot of work to do. You know, I think he's going to be, there's going to be a lot of reminding of Mike Norvell and his staff of these guys that, man, you guys have a chance to maybe win 11 games next year or do some great things, but only if you get a lot better than you were this year. And, and keep working like they did. That'll be the fun part to document this offseason, too, is yeah. is there a tone change from Mike Norvell? Is he a different – I mean, again, you don't change your stripes fundamentally. You are who you are. But, you know, if you message a certain way, uh, you can use the media to your advantage. Mike Norvell at different points this year, for example, the Boston College game is an example earlier in the year where he said, I, I told them I want them to dominate. I want to see them dominate a football game versus mm-hmm. do the little things right and it'll add up. So I'll, you know, spring ball is going to be fascinating to see if, if Coach Norvell gets their attention and how he approaches that. We documented it with Jimbo Fisher's time at Florida State. Yeah. That first year in 2010 was more footloose, you know, and, and they, they get to 10 wins in the bowl game. But you remember in that post game, he did that whole little uh, speech about we understand where we're going. Everybody's in step. Here's where we're going to go. Then they lost four games the next year. So he didn't exactly, <laughs> exactly. drive that point home immediately. And then in uh, 13, the, the first press conference that year was EJ's after EJ's departure. He said, sometimes you tell people something just to tell them something. And it's almost like he learned from a mistake. Then he got Jameis Winston, who he could tell anything. 2014 was attitude of domination, and that surely didn't work. There was no domination that season at any point. He was, he was trying. He was trying. He was trying with his words. I don't know if they were trying with their actions, but yeah, they no. were trying with their words. They were not at all. And so it'll be fascinating now. It's a different type of thing. Mike Norvell said in Charlotte, Ira, this is the thing that I always recall, or I often recalled at the end of the year, he said, success is coming. He said at the ACC kickoff when he was sitting down with us in that informal roundtable, success is coming. And he said it with conviction. What's he going to say now? What's he going to do now? Do you, do you have an inkling or is this something that maybe I'm overblowing as uh, we're going to cover the lead up to the 2023 season? Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, Aslan and I were talking about it on the drive back on uh, the day after the game on Friday. Uh, you know, Aslan was asking, do you think he'll start using the word championship? And um, I could see him using the word championship, just the uh, vague championship and not necessarily a specific championship. Could be the Florida championship, could be the ACC championship, uh, yeah. could be the national championship. But, um, you know, in talking about a championship standard, I you know, I think the the standard being the standard is 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 always a – um, you know, a safe one to go by, but I, you know, I think also the actions, you know, and again, what we see during practice, because one the storyline, I thought one of the big storylines of last spring, because he started talking about it back before spring practice even started was how this was going to be the most competitive and toughest spring they had since they got here, because now they actually have competition. They have competition for positions. They have enough depth. And you saw that, you saw that play out. And I thought in as we went into the season, you saw it um, in some of the position battles, but also the way the offensive defense went against each other. We would see good battles, especially you know in preseason camp. During the season, you do more scout team stuff. What I'm interested to see this year is how much of that depth continues to to emerge because you know we like some of the young defensive linemen. I really like the young offensive linemen. I, there's some position battles I think are going to be fascinating. Is Julian Armella just going to let one of these new guys come in and and take that starting offensive tackle job? Uh, on the defensive side, you know, you bring in uh, some of the players. You, you bring in two huge transfers and Fabian Lovett back in defensive tackle. Um, 
you know, who, who wins those positions in the secondary, you bring back basically both your starting corners and your top backups. Well, now you bring in an all ACC candidate in Central uh, Deuce Cypress. There's a, that, that there's a higher level of competition and more depth that I think is going to be fun to watch. And that if they play that right, that could be what springboards you into a special season. That's yeah. The, I love watching the trench drills when they break out, they do individuals and then sometimes they do combo drills. But when you say something simply like, "Who are the two starting tackles next year?" You got to pause. It's it's hard to know. Um, Robert Scott might even get flexed inside if they like what they have from other places. But Bless Harris is returning. Darius Washington can play out there. Julian Armella figures to be heavily in the fold, given every opportunity to be one of those two starting tackles. And then you got transfers, and you've got younger guys like a Jalen Early. Does he take a leap forward? It's just hard to nail that down. And I think also, Ira, one of the challenges. For this upcoming season, you kind of saw it in the first half of the bowl game. How many different receivers were on the field in the first half of the Jesus Bowl? I mean, everybody was on the field from McLean and Poitier and Darian Williamson to the to the other guys, the more uh, routine starter type players and Johnny Wilson and Micah Pittman and Pokey Wilson. There's only one football to go around, Ira, and they have a ton of options next year. How are they going to maintain everybody being on the same page and being selfless? That, you know, Mike repaired the culture, but they had a special culture this year. I don't know that that's right. going to be the expectation every year that guys are going to be this selfless across the board. There's just a ton of dudes out there. Yeah. I mean, I think receiver, but also running back. Uh, you know, we still yeah. don't know what all is going to happen there. I mean, there's definitely speculation that, you know, one of the right as it stands right now, Florida State's got six scholarship tailbacks, and that's not including, um, excuse me, CJ Campbell, who is a really nice player, but is a walk on. That's a lot, and, and you're not going to be able to get all those guys' touches. So, you know, it wouldn't be a shock to see one of those guys look to leave. But even with that, Mike Norvell's done a really good job throughout his career of getting guys involved. And, and, you know, some of the guys that when he was at Memphis, some of the guys that made the NFL and that, you know, that are running backs in the NFL were not star players at, at Memphis in terms of getting the ball 25 or 30 times. I mean, that's kind of what he does. He finds ways to kind of get everybody involved. Um, but yeah, next year it's going to, I mean, you're bringing back almost everybody at receiver and then you're adding in some of these pieces like Winston Wright, who sat out this year, a five-star receiver and Hakeem Williams. Uh, you're bringing in these tight ends who are dynamic. And then you add in the, the, what we saw from Marquise and Douglas late in the season. I mean, it's a, uh, that's, it's a good problem to have, man, but you're right. I mean, it's going to be a challenge to make, to make sure that that, get, that part gets managed because guys are going to want to you know, get their shine. I mean, that's, and, and they dealt with that some this year, but it's only going to be a, become a, a bigger issue. Could it be that Florida state will be uh, more in the output or, or the outgoing section when it comes to the transfer portal and the incoming spring practice, you know, if guys don't declare this moment and they go into spring practice, that's gotta be something to watch for now is that your players are wanted elsewhere. It's, it's the sign of a healthy program that guys leave your program, do good things elsewhere Ditto for assistant coaches and things like that. It's been a really, really busy time, not just with the football game itself and the lead up to the Cheez-It Bowl, but it seems like there's a portal announcement or a retention announcement every 15 minutes. Stay tuned to Warchant.com for the latest. Subscribe to Warchant.com and stay with us at Warchant TV. Hit the thumbs up underneath the video. Subscribe to our channel if you haven't. It's absolutely free. And if you want to be alerted when we go live, we had a pop-up live show today to react to Marcus Woodson's departure from Florida State, the reported departure. If you hit the bell, you'll be alerted when we go live for breaking news events like that. So it only helps you get FSU news on demand and as it's happening uh, when you do take those steps. Uh, but Ira, as we close out tonight's program, uh, what are some things that we can look for on Warchant.com in the days to come and any other points yeah. you want to make before a sign-off? Yeah, I mean, I think we are going to be um... – doing a little bit of looking back and looking forward. Uh, you know, Corey and I are working on some things where we're going to kind of kind of reassess what, you know, what went well, what didn't go well this past season. Most of it did obviously went well. And then the opportunities, uh, you know, going forward. But we're also looking at, uh, you know, I think Gene and I, uh, we're going to put together some things on what we think Florida State needs to do from an administration standpoint. Um, I actually uh, interviewed Michael Alford, um, uh, FSU's athletic director down when we were in Orlando. So I'll have that coming soon, a, a long Q and a with him. Uh, and that situation, you know, just kind of the overall status of the athletics department after his first year um, here. So a lot of, you know, it's a fun time because there's a lot of good things to reflect on this past season, but 
all of, you know, it seems like everything's trending in the right direction. You know, sometimes when you have a big year, it feels like a one-off. Um, this doesn't feel like it. It feels like the start of something new. So that's, uh, I think, going to be the big focus on, you know, our coverage over the next few weeks. And that's what we'll be documenting on Warchant.com right here on the channel, Warchant TV. Wake Up Warchant will be posted to your feeds tomorrow. We've, they've got a fresh edition with Corey and Aslan. We've got a live show at 1 p.m. We're getting back into the groove. Seminal headlines at 1 p.m. here on Warchant TV tomorrow as it's Tuesday. It's just we'll get back in the routine of Monday through Friday here soon. But tomorrow is Tuesday, so we're off and flying at Warchant TV. Thank you to the contributors tonight in the chat. And I don't mean just the folks who support us with a little gratuities. Thank you for advancing the discussion. We really appreciate your participation. Buffalo Tom with another one. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, to the big guns, Z-Chan, James B., as always, we really appreciate and uh, thank you for your support. For Director Ben, behind the scenes, for the managing editor of Warchant.com and Warchant TV, Irish O'Fell. My name is Tom Lang. Stay tuned. You never know when we'll be back right here on Warchan TV with more breaking news. Happy New Year. Good night, everybody.